This podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at placetobenation.com, the only place to be in your pop culture world. Hello, listeners, and welcome to episode number 37 of the Glenn Butler Podcast Hour Spectacular, where apparently we're doing an episode of the Glenn Butler Podcast Hour Spectacular again. Uh, We are back in the Spectacular Advice Hour, uh, which is where we take your questions and try to help. We, We try. You can reach us by emailing spectacularadvice at gmail.com, which our first emailer tonight did. But first, I can't answer these questions without my brother, Mr. Scott Butler. Scott, are you ready to give some advice? Good God, no. Awesome! Who the hell would take my advice? Well, I know whose advice I would take, and that is our co-host tonight, the salubrious Mr. Steve Willie. Steve, are you ready to give some advice? Please say yes. Good God, who the hell would want my advice? This is going to be awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I'm ready. Thank you. Uh, Let's get into it then with our emailer. Uh, The title of this is Whose Business Is It? Hmm. I'm a sterile man. Me and my wife have always wanted children and have now made the decision to get a sperm donor. If we have a kid, whose business is it how it happened? Do I need to tell my family, my friends? I believe it would be good to tell the child, but when? If you wait too long, were you deceitful? I have a stepdad that raised me from two years old and love him as much, if not more, than my biological father, so I don't worry the kid will love me less, but that's heavy info to lay on a small child. Advice would be helpful. Ooh, that's a good question. Right? Yeah, it touches upon... Stuff in my life and stuff in, you know, my my career job. And it, it probably is important to say that this, what we're going to do is is not any sort of professional advice whatsoever. Absolutely. Allegedly. We'll also say allegedly, just in case we say something that could be considered litigious. Just a blanket, allegedly. Scott, you got anything on this? Well, I can answer the first question. Okay. Whose business is it? It's your business, your wife's business. At some point, the kid's business, and potentially any doctor treating the kid's business. If they need to know, like, a family history or a genetic background or something like that. It really isn't anybody else's business. You guys can handle the other question. Yeah, and that's completely <laughs> correct. I mean, that, that's completely correct. It's, but after that, it's who you decide as a family to tell and it is because it is your story to tell it is your the you know the the dad the mom and the child probably equally each of those because as the child gets older they're going to have more say over the way they want to be able to tell their story yeah i mean i agree i'm by nature a very private person Mm -hmm. and so I, i i don't really like having my business aired to anyone, and my business I define very, very generally. So something of this nature I can see being very sensitive. (laughs) 
And so I, I would agree that except for, you know, the actual child and like someone who absolutely needs to know, mm -hmm. the rest is completely up to whoever you think would be cool with it and not be, you know, the way that people can be sometimes. <laughs> I wonder in this specific case, what kind of questions people might ask. Because there are always those people who automatically assign, and it's usually like oh, the mom's family will say, oh, it looks just like mom, or, you know, the, the, the partner's family will say, oh, it looks just like the partner. You know, they just prescribe their own family genetics to the child. Um, I almost said it, but that, that would have been incorrect. So I wonder what kind of questions this family might receive, if any at all. Will it be like, hey, you know, oh, you have dad's eyes or you have mom's eyes? Do you think there will be many, boy, this kid looks nothing like you whatsoever, considering it still has 50% of the family's genetic code, of which 99% is the same anyway? Yeah, that's definitely something that could be awkward. And it depends mm -hmm. on the dynamics of the family, the dynamics of the in-laws in this case, uh, whether... They would be able to take it in stride if they said to this man, oh, the child has your eyes. And, and if he said, no, he really doesn't. <laughs> you know someone's going to do that. Like, unless there's, like, a really obvious difference, like, you know, if the parents are both blonde and somehow the kid winds up with red hair. Unless there's something, like, glaringly obvious like that, you know someone's going to look at that kid and say, you know, oh, he's got your eyes, or he's got your nose, or he's got your hair. Because, you know, one-month-old babies don't have anybody's anything. They're just sort of little squishy blobs. They don't look anything like a grown adult. <laughs> so any of those appellations are completely in the mind's eye. And so they're just as likely to make that appellation whether you actually have a genetic relation to the child or not. Oh, which means, in a way, they're just as accurate. <laughs> <laughs> the, the question that, and like you said at the very beginning, Scott, that I completely agree with, it, it is, you know, only the business of the, the three people involved. You know, perhaps if there's a sibling down the, down the line, too. But it gets dicey when you're talking about parental units, as, you know, really most things do in life. If they choose to tell the parents or tell the in-laws... First of all, how does that conversation go? And second of all, when do you want to have that conversation? Well, I'm assuming from this question that the wider family is not aware of the writer's mm -hmm. reproductive health issues. Because otherwise it would be fairly obvious that they're having this child in some way other than the assumed traditional manner. Sure. So then it's like, who do you feel like sharing that with? That's right. sort of the first thing. So in the hypothetical case of, hey, should we tell the parents? Yes, let's tell the parents. How does one do that? Is that a, is that a let's go out to Denny's and IHOP? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it depends on the parents. Yeah. Again, I'm making a lot of assumptions, but I'm sort of assuming that if... The parents of this couple were people that would just sort of take this in stride and go, oh, that's too bad, but it's cool that you can still have a kid in this manner. Mm -hmm. Then it wouldn't be such a big deal to try to decide whether or not to tell them. I'm, I'm sort of assuming that from the reluctance to tell them that there would be some sort of negative reaction. 
Right, because he said, was it a stepdad that raised him from two on? Yes. Right, so the, that's essentially the, the writer's father. So, Like, ideally, you would just say, you know, I have this reproductive health issue, I can't father a child, and people go, oh, that's too bad. And then you mm-hmm. say, but we're going to get a sperm donor, and we're going to have a kid that way, and people would go, awesome. Can I can I be Godfather? Yeah, or something mm-hmm. like that. I'm, I'm happy for you that you can still do this thing you want to do. In which case, it would be you know, it wouldn't be an issue whether or not to tell them. It would just be easier to sort of get it out in the open if that was the case. But I am assuming that the fear, at least on behalf of the writer, is that that would not be the reaction. That the reaction would be some sort of either like blaming the writer for his reproductive health problems or like commiseration to the point of pity or something like that, or just some sort of negative reaction that they are preferring to avoid by just not bringing up the issue. Yeah, a worst-case scenario would be that people assign normative value to people's reproductive health, and that brings in judgment and and all sorts of things that, obviously, you want to avoid even bringing it up in, mm-hmm. in, a, in a context like that. So it depends a lot on the individual people involved. And that can be hard to gauge, you know, what exactly someone thinks about something like that, because it doesn't come up all that much. That's true. I mean, I'd hope that uh, this this guy had his uh, uh, stepfather and apparently has a very good relationship with him. So I would hope that he and, and his mother wouldn't be judgmental about that. I mean, I would hope that no one would be. <laughs> Yeah, I was, I'm kind of looking, I'm trying to think of what the stigma would be, like where the someone's hangups might be over starting a family in this way. I can imagine there are people out there that would like, you know, if you can't father a child, then you aren't a real man or some bullshit like that, you know? Exactly, T- mm-hmm. tying it into some like macho mindset. I'm looking at a, a website right now from... Uh, the Fertility Center of California. And it says that one in eight couples uh, have infertility issues. And up to 30% of those issues are caused by male fertility issues. So it's not like this is an uncommon thing, but it's not going to be something that people talk about. Right, exactly. And in that concept, I mean, there is value in visibility in, Mm -hmm. in something like that that people don't talk about enough. Although, of course, if that's going to come at personal pain to you, you're under no obligation to, like, you know, give up your comfort for the cause. Right. I think I could think of, you know, people not knowing the genetics of their background, but I would be pretty sure that you're going to have that information, especially if it's going to be... Did, did they say if it was someone that they knew that was donating the sperm, or is it going through a clinic, or did it not say? The emailer didn't specify. He just okay. said, we've made the decision to get a sperm donor. Mm-hmm. And no matter what, you're going to have that information. So there doesn't have to be any worry about health benefits or you know health concerns about the background of the person who would be donating. You're going to have all that information. Right. So then the question is, when do you tell the child? Yeah, and that is a very hard one, because you don't want to wait too long. Right. I mean, like like our emailer says, you know, how long does it go on before it's deceitful? 
I, mm-hmm. I think that's the sort of situation where you maybe don't want to lay that information on a child who's too young to understand it, but mm-hmm. you also don't want to lie about it. That's what I was going to say. I mean, when you tell the child, don't you also have to sort of explain the mechanics of infertility and sperm donation to explain what happened? Right. So you can't do that with a six-year-old. I think, you know, in a lot of these instances, there are, like, and I literally right next to me right now, my oldest is going through uh, the talk at school. They had to have, you know, that kind of talk, which is terrifying, and you didn't want to do it, and totally understandable, so we bought a book. And while we bought a book, it's, there's one for 10 and older, and then my wife said, oh, there's one for 7 and older. You can have different aged stories or different age ways of referring to what's going on younger kids could understand in some manner but you have to watch how you phrase what you're saying to to make it understandable in a way i think it's probably like a lot of other things that might be you know hard to explain to kids where you you have to gauge it for their level of understanding and their kind of temperament but i also think you don't want to lie Mm -hmm. you don't want to like actively avoid having the conversation until they're older by actively shutting it down. Right. Do you think it's something where you could wait until the child maybe asks something around the subject, or when even would they? Unless the couple is blonde and the kid is red-haired and they're doing Punnett squares in ninth grade biology. (laughs) that would be an unfortunate way for the child to find out Yeah, that would probably be a little late you know i think first like you know go with their questions because there's probably at some point they're going to ask you know how are babies made and you know you can be able to tell about the many different ways children are made and by the end of halfway through that story they'll be moved on to something else anyway and (laughs) you might have to tell it a couple times um yeah, I, like, I think the longer you hold off, the worse it gets. And I, I do a lot of work with uh, adoption in, in my business. And I do know of a neighbor who, uh, a few years ago, I found out from a n- another neighbor that the child was adopted. I don't know these people. I do know that at that time, the child himself did not know that they were adopted. And he's probably about 10 or 11. And... That seems to be even worse than this situation of, you know, if I know that my neighbor is adopted, who I, you know, don't even know personally, and he doesn't, yeah, good luck when he finds out. In this case, it might even be a little bit easier to explain, hey, this is something that, you know, dad has a problem with, but it's okay, I'm healthy, you know, there's nothing wrong, so we just needed a little extra help to have a baby. And they might ask you what that means and again most likely they'll just move on to something else oh okay yeah i I will obviously defer entirely to you on on questions of child psychology but i think it's a very good idea to kind of wrap that into the overall the talk you Mm -hmm. know some people have babies this way and some people have babies this way and that's how mom and dad had you yeah you know, at this point in time, there we know so much about different types of families. And, and as the writer said, you know, his family is different than a traditional family as well. You know, that's a different kind of family that, you know, we were all told when we were kids, you know, 
a mom and a dad and 2.2 kids and a dog and a cat. Yeah. Um, overall, I think the question asker's heart is in the right place. I think the emphasis is on when is it healthy for the child? When is it healthy for our family? And, and I think that is exactly where the emphasis ought to be. Rather than, you know, any urge to hide it or, or make it a secret or anything. Yeah, once you make it a secret, that's going to be where the problems are. And then the question, the, the other question was, who do we tell? You know, whose business is it? Who do we tell? And it's like, that's your business. You can decide who to tell if you want. If you don't want to tell your parents, you don't have to tell your parents. If you want to tell one set of parents and not the other because you don't think you can handle it, well, then you're going to have to tell the one set of parents, hey, you know, don't talk to the in-laws about this. This is something we're not ready to tell. And with each person you tell, you're going to have to set limits on that, too with whom they can communicate or not communicate and and set those boundaries also if you do tell other family members sort of related to your example with your neighbor be sure that they don't wind up telling the kid before you do yes yes oh yeah by the way what do you think about this wait what yeah absolutely anyone got anything else on this one no, but this book for on, on egg, sperm, birth, babies, and families for ages seven and up called It's So Amazing. It's really disturbing. Oh, no. Yes, if you want cartoon pictures of what men and women look like as they age from a baby to an older grown-up, uh, naked pictures, naked cartoon drawings, this book is for you. See, I didn't see any naked cartoon drawings until the internet came along. Right. Oh, right. well, well, the, <laughs> the I, I, internet is now in book form, my friend. <laughs> Holy Christmas. I, I, was, I was just thinking a couple of minutes ago, I remember when we had the talk at my school in sixth grade, and yes. e everyone's, uh, everyone's parents were supposed to bring them, but mom and dad were busy, so you brought me. Oh, yeah, I remember that. And thank God we got the internet a few years later. <laughs> Because, good lord, with, with mom and dad and, and you, I would have known nothing. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm going to have to recommend books this book to people. It's so amazing. And I just want people to read it and, and, and see how, does, how, does, how upset they get. How uncomfortable. Because, yeah, it does bring back all of those, those talks that you have at school. And uh, I remember having the talk with my dad in the shed. And I don't remember any of it, and I don't think any of it was probably useful information whatsoever. Uh, the only <laughs> sex talk I ever had with my father was during the Bill Clinton impeachment hearings. <laughs> As well it should. We were sitting at the kitchen table before I went to school one day, and he had the news on like he did every morning. And during a commercial break, he turned to me and asked, do you know what the president did? And I said, uh, uh, oral sex? And he said, you know what that is? I said, yes. He said, all right, and turned back to the TV. <laughs> and that kind of, that, you know, if for our writer, that's a lot of parental talks right there, even as you get older. <laughs> just, that's the extent of it. Oh, okay. Let's see what's on Matlock. <laughs> exactly. Wow. Yeah, I don't, I just remember, I don't even think it was any detail whatsoever about sex. I think it was just like, it was time to have the talk and 
there might have been the word respect thrown around or something like I don't remember a minute of it except sitting and staring. I think maybe I dissociated. Oh man, when I was a senior in high school, I asked my dad how to ask a girl out. Mhm. And he kind of looked off into the distance a little and mumbled something about being very respectful. And that was about all I got out of him. <laughs> man, you had all these deep meaningful conversations with dad. <laughs> oh, you, oh, you didn't. He didn't give you this sage advice. No. Oh, that that's just as well. You got the internet eventually. Yeah, so I got the internet eventually. It turned out okay. Do you think he didn't have the the talk with you because you know, like, okay, yeah, I really screwed that one up. So now, now I've learned. So I have to tell Glenn to be respectful. <laughs> I didn't say. I didn't say anything. I didn't say anything to to Scott. So really, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to really focus on this one. Gonna double down. Yes. Respect. Glad we can have this talk. Wait, our dad was Stu Hart? No, your dad was Aaron George doing an impression of Stu Hart. Ah. Oh, no, an impression of Aaron George doing an impression of Stu Hart. I'm, I'm ge- respect him. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna respect you. And then just, stretch the woman. Yeah, stretch her. Okay, I specifically was not going to go there. <laughs> that's why we have co-hosts. Exactly. That's that's why we have a diversity of thought on this show. Do you think we've helped this person? I think that's in a that's something we really have to think about at the end of when we do these shows. Do you think we've helped in any way? Well, if there's an anxiety about a perceived obligation to tell people, I think we can reassure you that you don't have that obligation. No, not at all. You know, that is that is between you and your wife and the child and, like Scott said, any doctor who needs to know genetic mm-hmm. background information. But otherwise, that is entirely up to who you think will be respectful and will, and who you think will basically be cool about it. Yeah, it's your birth plan. It, it really is. It's your birth plan. Not anyone else's. And it, it even goes down to like, you know, who you want in the in the room or in the hospital when you have the baby. That's your choice. It doesn't have to be, you know, traditional or it, it could be anything you want. It could be your intern. It could be your next door neighbor. Uh, it could be mom, dad, stepdad, nobody. I get the idea, uh, reading a lot of people's experiences, that when someone becomes pregnant and when a family, you know, becomes pregnant, uh, a lot of people outside of that put expectations on it and put obligations on it. And Mm -hmm. I think it's really valuable to remember that it's your journey and how you manage that is up to you in what works for you. Yeah, and that yeah pushes it beyond the spurtometer because you're going to be getting a lot of advice from all these different people that have nothing to do with this, and you know those are conversations that you have with your your significant other over over time. Is what do we want people to know? What do we want people not to know? And as long as you're on the same page, as long as you're talking together and communicating as you know an immediate family, you're not really going to see any problems. I hope so. I hope everyone that you choose to tell is cool about it, and I hope that you have a beautiful child and a beautiful life with your family. Uh, Thank you very much to that writer for uh, reaching out to us. Uh, We will be back with a special second segment 
and we will be talking about sandwiches. Ooh. Now that I have opinions on. <laughs> exactly. So we will be right back. Consideration paid for by the following. Hey, pro wrestling announcer Kevin Kelly here. I want to make sure you are all subscribed to all the great feeds here at Place to Be Nation. It's really easy to do. Just head to iTunes or your preferred podcatcher app today and search and subscribe to the Place to Be Nation wrestling feed, which, of course, includes the full archives of the Kevin Kelly Show, the Place to Be Nation pod feed, and the pro wrestling only feed. Subscribe, listen, and then rate us and leave feedback today. And be sure to give Justin your true thoughts. I mean, don't hold back. After all, he is kind of a jerk. Just listen to Scott. Place for Nations, JT Rosero and Chad Campbell here. We want to let you know that we have a ton of great podcasts available to you on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and placefornation.com. We offer them to you on two great feeds. On the Place to Be Nation wrestling feed, we bring you the Mothership, the Place to Be podcast, along with Main Event, Survey Says, The Monday Night Wars, and our monthly pay-per-view reaction show, as well as Jeff Learns Wrestling. In addition to these full-length shows, we also deliver special network podcasts and pod blasts on topics old and new. Over on the Pro Wrestling Only feed, we dive deep inside the wrestling business with a stacked army of experts leading the way. The feed features potpourri shows such as This Week in Wrestling, Greetings from Allentown, Match of the Week podcasts, and the Military Industrial Suplex. We also have shows that focus intently on certain topics like Through the Years, Worldcast, Strong Style History, Strong Style Story, and Mount Olympus. Plus, the feed has the full archives of legendary shows like Titans of Wrestling, Where the Big Boys Play, Letters from Center Stage, and Letters from Kayfabe, plus much more. And on our very popular Place to Be Nation Pop podcast feed, we offer such great shows as Talkin' Pop, the Glenn Butler Podcast Hour Spectacular, NBA Team, PTBM Play, Sunday Groove, Breaking Balls, and Lucha Undead. As well as a vertical podcast heaven for comics fans. With the hard-traveling fanboys, Sellers Points, Todd Weber's Conversations, Geek and Sassy, and Marvel Age Podcasts. You can find all of these current shows, plus archives of our past podcasts, including The Kevin Kelly Show, as well by subscribing to both feeds on iTunes. And while there, be sure to rate and leave feedback today. All these shows, plus others, available at PlaySpation.com, where we cover pro wrestling, sports, movies, comics, plus in-depth stretch projects, and more. Be sure to support our site by using PlaySpation.com slash Amazon when doing your online shopping, and download our free PTB Vintage Vault Refresh eBooks via the links on our site. We also want to thank our friends at Boneheads, Wing Bar in West Warwick, Rhode Island, and Fall River, Massachusetts, and TheHistoryOfWrestling.com. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Tumblr as well. PlaySpation.com, the only place to be in your pop culture world. Nobody needs me. I love bread. I love bread.
are back on the Spectacular Advice Edition of the Glenn Butler Podcast Hour, Spectacular, and in this second segment, we have a very special question that was sent to us in many different ways by friend of the show, Andy Helene, after our previous Spectacular <laughs> Advice show, in which he asked us the question we asked to be asked, what is the best way to make a grilled cheese sandwich? Scott, I know you have thoughts. Okay. The best way to make a grilled cheese sandwich, and this might be a controversial opinion. Uh-oh. You have your two slices of buttered bread. You put cheese between them. Mm-hmm. You fry your sandwich. Interesting. The end. In oil? In, in the butter. Okay. You don't add anything. It's cheese. You know, that is pretty good. Let's keep it to the basics. Yeah, people do all sorts of fancy grilled cheese sandwiches. And I suppose if that works for you, I'm not here to judge. <laughs> uh, but I, I too prefer just a straight up, you know, you butter the outside of the bread and you fry it in the butter that you put on the outside of the bread. People, people use mayonnaise, which I don't understand. Yeah, that's what my mom did. And... I, I've done it with Miracle Whip, and I don't like mayonnaise, period. And I don't really like Miracle Whip, but that was just the way I learned. So it has a little bit of a tang to it, and it is the same thing as the butter. It, it just makes it so the, the bread doesn't burn. But, uh, yeah, I prefer butter or margarine or some type of spread like that as well. I like messing around with the cheeses. I was just going to say, does anyone have an opinion on best cheese to use? Mozzarella can sometimes be fun. Gets a nice stringy quality to it. Interesting. Yeah, it can be very stringy. You want something that's going to melt well. You can't use a very hard cheese. No. Like, about the hardest cheese you could use is a cheddar. I'm sort of a traditionalist on this. I generally stick with American cheese. Yeah. Uh, a, pr a cheese product. Cheese food. Mm-hmm. Cheese-flavored product. Do you, do you call your grilled cheese... Grilled and nationalistic cheese. Are you a, are you an America first grilled cheese sandwich? Although that does depend on what kind of bread you're using. Ah, uh, mm. well, that too. I'm assuming standard bog standard white bread. In which case, I go with bog standard cheese flavored product. Exactly. If you say the phrase grilled cheese to me, what I'm picturing is just plain old Wonder Bread. Mm-hmm. If you use rye bread, Swiss cheese is very good for a grilled cheese with rye bread. That's a very good flavor combination. Oh, you're doing like a third of a Reuben. I suppose. A Rube. See, a Reuben is like, you can make other types of sandwiches and then prepare them a la grilled cheese. Yes. You can take another sandwich, other types of sandwiches and, you know, put them on bread and butter the bread and fry it. That's fine. I'm not going to argue against that. But if you're talking about, like, grilled cheese, a grilled cheese experience, that's bread and cheese. White bread and American cheese. No, no inserts. No. No, like, slice of tomato, piece of bologna, hamburger. If you're like, if you're like, I feel like having hamburgers, but I'm sort of sick of buns, hey, why don't I put it between slices of bread and fry it? That's fine. That's tasty. That's extremely good. If you're mm -hmm. like, I want a ham sandwich, but 
I kind of want a hot ham sandwich. Why don't I butter the outside of the ham sandwich and fry it? That's fine. That's good. You get that ham juice all sort of mixes in with the cheese and the sandwich. That's, that's very tasty. But if you are saying, if you're not saying, I want a hamburger, I think I'll fry it. Or I want a ham sandwich, I think I'll fry it. Or I want a Reuben, and I'm going to fry it. If you're saying, I want a grilled cheese sandwich, what you want to go with is white bread and American cheese. That is my opinion. What would you say about Velveeta? I like Velveeta in a mashed potato. Okay. I'm not sure about it in a grilled cheese because I think it would be too loose. That's what I was going to say. I think it's too hard to control. Yeah. It'll, mm-hmm. If you put enough on you the eat... sandwich to be really tasty, it'll just run out of the sandwich. Yeah, you bite into one corner and it's a volcano. That's why I like the sort of traditional American cheese, cheese-flavored food product, because it melts really nice and smooth, but it holds together enough to stay in the sandwich, unless you just load the thing the fuck up. Yeah, you have to be careful about your placement. I mean, I realize people like to have cheese hang over the sides of the sandwich, so it kind of fries in a ring around the bread. And that can be nice, but I find, maybe it's just the way that I cook, I find that very easy to burn. Yeah, I don't like that. That would always end up burned with me. I I, I don't like that, like, cheese right on the skillet, unless the cheese is on the skillet for, like, two seconds and you immediately get it off before it has the chance to burn. Mm. But I don't like that ring of burned cheese around my sandwich. Yeah, otherwise, I would just need a cheese that's going to hold together a, a little bit. Like, a Swiss is very good. Provolone, very good. Hmm. I'm, I'm going down a grilled cheese wormhole. Well, very good. I, I, we'll go down there with you, buddy. Yeah. The, I, I'm looking at several websites. There is one that's, that combines our first two ideas where you spread a little mayo on the outside and then place it into a skillet with melted butter. And the mayonnaise gets it a little crisp and golden brown. Yeah, I've seen people do that a lot, too, where they don't butter the bread and then put it in the pan. They just melt butter in the pan like you're sautéing something or making scrambled eggs, and they just lay the bread into it. Although I find that doesn't get enough butter on the bread. Yeah. And then I found the best cheeses for melting. Oh. But that doesn't necessarily mean best cheese to put in a grilled cheese, right? Not necessarily, because like we said, if it melts too well, it'll run right out of the sandwich. Yeah. Yeah. Because he said that fourth would be sheep's milk cheeses, three is any high-moisture cheese, so the more moisture, the better it melts. So that would be uh, your cheddar, your Gouda, and your American. And that's because it has a low melting point. And it's usually a common, the American is usually a combination of cheddar and Colby. But you shouldn't use Kraft Singles. I mean, that is un-American in itself. Brie? Like uh, a soft caramel? That, that, that wouldn't work. No, I, I'm not a fan of Brie, personally. Mm-hmm. Um, but divorced from that, I think just the texture... I mean, it's loose at room temperature. Yeah. Let's see what Bon Appetit magazine has to say. I mean, I, I'm, I'm with you, though, Scott. Like... Once you start adding too many things to a grilled cheese sandwich, it's no longer a grilled cheese sandwich. It, it's just a sandwich that happens to have melted cheese on it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, most sandwiches only get better when you cover the outside in butter and then fry it. I'm not going to argue mm-hmm. against that idea. But 
I would argue that your end result cannot be accurately described as a grilled cheese sandwich. It is, you know, like I said, a ham sandwich that you've prepared in the grilled cheese style, or it's a Reuben sandwich, or it's whatever. It's whatever type of sandwich you made that has been fried like a grilled cheese, but it is not, in fact, a grilled cheese anymore because there's too much other stuff. I think I'm prepared to call some of those things grilled cheese sandwiches still. If you make them by making a grilled cheese sandwich and then prying it apart in the seconds after it comes out of the pan, burning your fingers so that you can insert your piece of tomato or your hamburger or whatever. I don't like that. I don't like that method. I remember mom used to do that. She would make a grilled cheese sandwich and then open it up and stick a hamburger in it. Well, you have to do it quickly. She didn't always get it quickly because the middle will solidify and then the point of the grilled cheese is somewhat lost. I, I think that's a bad method. I greatly prefer to just like cook your hamburger patty and then put it in a uncooked grilled cheese sandwich and then grill it. I think that's a much better method. Unless you're, like, trying to have a grilled cheese sandwich with a cold, crisp slice of tomato that hasn't been warmed inside of the sandwich, or, like, something weird like that, I think you're greatly better off just building your sandwich as you want it to be, and then frying it. Steve, what do you think about this? I, I would do the burger separately. Melt the cheese on it, and then if you want that grilled cheese, you know, that kind of bread effect, I would just grill that separately and then put the whole thing together. Oh, uh, uh, grill the pieces of bread like an open face sandwich? The of, yeah, like a, um, like a Texas toast type deal. Mm-hmm. Throw the, the uh, bread on the grill, too, or, or Scott, like you said, just fry it up in some butter. Who would have thought this was so important? Because I, I really think it is now. Uh, bon Appetit magazine, by the way. American is good. Cheddar is good. Maybe mozzarella, but as something different, they recommend Fontina. It's an Italian cow's milk cheese that has a flavor that isn't far from a mild provolone, but it's a little more grassy. Hmm. I've had Fontina a couple of times. I could see that being a very good grilled cheese cheese for when you're doing something a little more upscale than the Kraft Singles. <laughs> well, if you're trying to do something more upscale than the Kraft Singles, I would argue that you shouldn't be making a grilled cheese sandwich. Oh, so you're saying grilled cheese is an inherently kind of food of the people. I am not generally impressed by these sorts of efforts by some people to take some really basic food of the people, food stuff, and like, you know... Let's elevate it with artisanal ingredients and make like a really gourmet elevated version of... No. If you like a grilled cheese, just have a grilled cheese. It doesn't need to be elevated or artisanal or any of that other crap. It can just be a grilled cheese and it can be wonderful and delicious as a grilled cheese. It does not need to be elevated, you elitist prick. There's definitely some elitism associated with that. But I do find that if you want something a little more upscale, you could use, you know, a better bread or different sorts of cheeses. And make it the same way. Yes. Although I have been known to use a George Foreman, just because it takes a little bit less time and you can throw like four sandwiches on there at once. Uh, true, if you're cooking for the family. Yeah. Yeah. And you make it in the same way. You know, you throw your butter on, you throw your cheese on. 
Well, that's why you need to get like one of those like big electric griddle pans where you can make like mm-hmm. eight at a time. You can make your Mickey Mouse pancakes with those too. Oh sure. You have to sort of adjust the angle because a lot of those things are made to for like fat to run off one end, and you don't want your pancakes to run off the one end, and so you may need to like jimmy the thing with like the handle of a knife or something to get the thing more level to bake pancakes on it. Sounds dangerous. I like it. Uh, before we leave grilled cheese behind entirely and talk about Mickey Mouse pancakes for 20 minutes. Um, <laughs> the thing about Mickey Mouse pancakes is you need a pretty big plate for those things unless you make really tiny Mickey Mouse pancakes. Well, if you're making tiny ones, what's the point? Yeah, that would be Minnie Mouse. <laughs> That's gender essentialism, Steve. Well, she's a little bit tinier. It's also a fact. So, I want to mention one use of grilled cheese sandwiches that <laughs> we're going to have opinions about. Oh, good God. Outside of eating them? Like, does it work as a magic, you know, like a Mr. Clean magic eraser for the walls? It's a floor polish. It's a dessert topping. I would not recommend rubbing grilled cheese sandwiches on your walls. How about, like, under your That know, is under advice like a, that I'm going to give. A little cologne? Just get the nice uh, the buttery cheese mix, just a little bit under the chin. Maybe a little bit on the temple. Grilled cheese essential oils. Yeah, you do that before a date, and then your sweetums goes in for a hug, and, and mm, 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 what's this? Respect. That is respect. <laughs> so, I want to talk about one use of grilled cheese sandwiches, and that is entire sandwiches used as the ends of a bun. Oh, oh yes. fuck me. This is something that I saw many times on television in the sort of look at these weird foods shows and wasn't entirely sure was actually done in all that many places in real life. Mm-hmm. But... Apparently. Oh, yes, yes. I decided to try it once just to say that I did. At Place to Be Nation's very own Boneheads. Okay. And I gotta say, the sandwich held together better than I expected. It was better than I expected. The grilled cheese sandwiches themselves were not of very high quality. Like, as individual components. They were not paid as much attention as the burger and the toppings and all that stuff. We should talk about that. Do restaurants ever make a really good grilled cheese? Is that like the one food that is always better at home than made by a professional restaurant cook? You know, that hadn't occurred to me, but you might be right. Yeah, there is a just a ton of grilled cheese hamburgers where you use the grilled cheese as a bun. Tons of recipes for it. I don't know. Like, yeah, I, I'm like you, Glenn, in that I would give it a try, but I wouldn't be like, you know, make it part of my grilling repertoire or throw it on a menu once a month for the kids or something like that or if i saw that at a restaurant i wouldn't order it but i might take a bite out of someone's when they're not looking oh some some stealth sampling well you know because then at some point then i would have to admit that i really wanted to taste (laughs) and really wanted to try it but you know you know sometimes we eat in shame and and again you might face social opprobrium yeah (laughs) I have two opinions about this. All right. Specifically, 
that seems like a lot of bread. That's mm-hmm. true. To have like two slices of bread on either side of your hamburger. More generally, I am, for the most part, completely put off by this trend in food of... It's almost like conspicuous consumption. It, it's, like a, it's like a corollary of conspicuous consumption where it's like, how can we make this dish as disgustingly unhealthy as possible? Let's use entire grilled cheese sandwiches as our hamburger bun. Let's use a glazed donut as our hamburger bun. Mm-hmm. Let's use a glazed donut as our hamburger bun and then bread the entire thing and deep fry it. There are things that are incredibly unhealthy that are nonetheless very tasty. But just the fact that you've made it incredibly unhealthy does not necessarily mean it's become tasty. And I am completely put off by this trend of just, like, trying to find ways of making things as unhealthy as possible just so people can revel in how unhealthy the thing they're eating is. It was the whole man versus food gimmick, right? I mean, that show you know, really made that trend take off. And it's just like, let's throw a bunch of crap against the wall and make it large. And then we will challenge you to eat it so you can put it on Instagram. Right. Or, or put it on your YouTube channel as what was that channel called? Extreme meal time or something like that. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of, um, because it all ties back into wrestling. Sure. Victoria's restaurant that she had the squared circle. I, I went there before Chikara show with my friends and they had, and I'm looking up to see exactly what was on there. It was the Four Horsemen Challenge. And it kind of goes with our grilled cheese talk here. It's four nine-ounce burgers, eight strips of bacon, four kinds of cheese. And I remember one of them was blue cheese, which if you want to, it's something not to make a grilled cheese sandwich with. It's, it would be blue cheese. Um, and then on a pretzel bun with a bunch of fries. And I'm looking at the picture. My friend tried it. And God bless him. He's no longer with us uh, after trying that. Um, yeah, but even the, even the picture looks disgusting, but Hey, Victoria came down and sat with us as, you know, he was trying to eat it and she was very nice, but oh, yeah, that's the, cool. yeah, it just like, I'm with you again, Scott, like it's really just this trend of trying to make things as disgusting as unhealthy, but you know, viral marketing worthy as possible. I mean, I've got nothing against unhealthy food. I just went into my description of how to properly make a grilled cheese hamburger. So I'm not opposed to unhealthy food, but this trend where the focus is no longer on the flavor of the thing, the focus is on let's revel in how unhealthy the thing that I'm consuming is. That sort of puts me off. You know, you're getting some sort of thrill out of eating something that has this extra level of unhealthiness added to it for no reason other than just because you get a thrill out of having more unhealthiness added to it. Yeah, and with the grilled cheese bun burger, the double grilled cheese burger, I think each component would be better separately. Yeah, I would agree with that. Do you think that... Going back to food shame, because I know, and I'm not going to speak for anybody else, but I've joked with you, Glenn, about, oh, yeah, going to Taco Bell, it's right down the road, and uh, there's a little bit of shame in in going to Taco Bell on on your own. Do you think that having such a monstrosity that is so unhealthy and bragging about it is a way to hashtag take back food shame? 
if I can coin a new hashtag. Just take it back and just revel in it. So now you've reversed the shame into a kind of look at me, take the negative attention into a positive attention. I'm not sure that that's taking back the shame as much as it is kind of... Fetishizing it almost. It, it's it's fetishizing it in a way, I think in a way it's reinforcing that food shame for anyone who would eat the components in earnest. Because it's all very ironic. Like, if you're just going to say, you know, listen, I love grilled stuffed burritos and I'm going to go have one for dinner because it's tasty as fuck. And the hell with you if you have something bad to say about that. That's one thing. But, like, I'm going to take a hamburger and put it on a glazed donut and then dip the whole thing in batter and fry it up. I don't think that's doing anything one way or the other about food shame except possibly reveling in your contradiction of it. Like, food shame is necessary to the experience of the glazed donut hamburger or the two grilled cheese sandwiches as buns on your hamburger. Food shame is necessary to that experience because without the food shame, there's no point in eating that stuff. Because you're not eating that stuff because it's delicious. You're eating that stuff because of the shame that is associated with it and you get some sort of thrill or pleasure or whatever from eating the thing that this much shame is normally associated with. So there's, I think there's a difference there between like, like I said, just like unironically enjoying a Big Mac because you enjoy a Big Mac and the hell with any shame someone tries to attach to that versus eating these foods that are specifically engineered to engender as much food shame as possible because that's an intrinsic part of the experience. I can buy that. Yeah, I completely agree. Boy, we've gotten off of the grilled cheese topic, well, kind of. To get back to grilled cheese, uh, Steve, you mentioned a blue cheese grilled cheese sandwich a minute ago, and mm -hmm. that brings to mind, what is the worst cheese for a grilled cheese? Like, it would have to be something that doesn't melt and is very crumbly. So, like, feta? <laughs> I think you can use a blue cheese in a grilled cheese, as long as it's not the only cheese. Yeah, you can sprinkle it into a cheddar or a provolone or an American or something else that melts well, and so, you know, it gives you different flavors in different bites. But as the only cheese, no, that's a very bad idea. I mean, in that case, adding the blue cheese would be the same as adding bacon or adding a hamburger patty or something like that. It'd just be another flavor profile in amongst the cheese that's actually holding everything together. But if you're going, like, exclusively with crumbled blue cheese, how do you even flip the sandwich? How do you even cook it? It's a good question. The rabbit hole's continuing, guys. Oh, yeah, for sure. Well, the worst cheese could be either end of the spectrum, right? It could be either a cheese, that a really hard cheese that doesn't melt, or something like Velveeta or something way on that end of the spectrum that just, like, turns to water and runs all over the place rather than staying between the slices of bread. Either end of that spectrum would be horrible. You would get a I think bad hard, sandwich. The hard cheese, I think, would be the worst because you'd eventually burn the bread by trying to melt it. Would you guys eat cricket grilled cheese? What, have, I, have I destroyed the podcast? Um, I don't think I've ever intentionally eaten an insect. 
Well, Scott got reminded of what I, um, and I think I posted this in one of our live chats, uh, the Calgary Stampede, which is like Canada's version of uh, State Fair, where you have like ridiculous, you know, fried food. In the Midwest, it's usually some sort of fried food on a stick. But the Calgary Stampede had something called prairie oyster balls that we can get back to. But as I was looking for that, they have cricket grilled cheese, which is Texas toast, which I also think would be a great bread for grilled cheese, a little bit thicker. And actually, now I think about that, they served that in college. They called it a BAC, a big ass cheese. And it was like a giant grilled cheese sandwich (laughs) with just, you know, your regular typical grilled cheese, you know, your American whatnot, and just larger pieces of toast. It was it was very good. But this is a Texas toast four cheese blend, and it is topped with a healthy serving of crunchy, tasty crickets. And if you look at the picture, the, you know, instead of mushrooms or onions, indeed, there are crickets that are in between the layer of cheese and the bread. You know, lots of people eat insects and lots of people really like it. I think they're a little more common in Mexican food. So I wouldn't put it out of mind entirely. It's just not something that's within my experience. I would prefer it to be something that remains not within my experience. (laughs) Well, all right, then. They also did have the prairie oyster balls, which falls under what what Scott is saying about uh, make something the most disgusting, obscure, unhealthy thing possible. It is uh, mini donuts topped with a bull testicle. I was gonna. Uh, I was gonna say it's probably like a Rocky Mountain oyster, right? Yeah, yeah. There's bull testicles on top that also have a, a prepared blueberry compote topped with a dollop of whipped cream and sprinkled crushed nuts. Wow. Mm-hmm. Inside of a grilled cheese sandwich. Oh well, there. Well, there you go. Now it's good. See, I don't like the mixing of sweet and savory like that. I know that's kind of a big thing lately, the last few years, but eh, it's not really my thing. I don't want, like, whipped cream on my fried meat. I don't need that. I don't mind the little bit of salt that they, you know, like the salted caramel that they do a lot lately, if it's just a little bit. But yeah, if I want sweet, I want sweet, and pretty much I want sweet all the time. Yeah, you can make... You can make a sweeter sauce. There are lots of sweet sauces that I think are very good, but sort of mixing whole components like that, like the whipped cream, I don't, I don't understand. I don't want whipped cream and blueberry sauce on my grilled cheese. Or your bull testicles. No, nor on my bull testicles. I'm not necessarily <laughs> opposed to trying a bull testicle. I mean, you know, deep fry it. It can't be that bad. On that note, uh, if there was ever a time to end the show. <laughs> uh, Andy, our question asker, I hope we helped. Right. Uh, try some recipes and let us know what you think. And if you run into a bull testicle, just don't put whipped cream on it. But, you know, hey, give it a shot. Sure. Uh, we have a late-breaking question that came into no, the show. We don't. No, we don't. Yeah, Are you making this up? Do we actually have a late-breaking question? We have a late-breaking question. It just came in. Uh, Scott in Connecticut writes... No, he didn't. I co-host a podcast that hasn't updated in, in six months. Do you have any advice on how to update more regularly? Steve, what do you think? I, I know a few Scots in Connecticut. 
Yeah, uh, true. I would suggest that if you enjoy doing the podcast and want to put it out more regularly, you can maybe make a list of things you want to talk about. You could possibly ask your listening audience to send questions to a certain email. What what, what could that email be, Glenn? Uh, like you know, come up like an email at random. Uh, you know, on, off the top of my head, I think people should probably send emails to spectacularadvice at gmail dot com. Hmm, that sounds like a good, completely made up email that might work if I tried it. I got to go uh, register that before we put the show up. You probably should. Um, are there any other topics that you think you could cover, say, on a podcast to make it come out more often than six months? Because I know a, a Steve from Wisconsin that that might be looking into doing this as well. It's a quandary, you know? It's a real problem. Yes. Local Eastern Jewish politics? No, that wouldn't work. Hmm. Yeah, this is a good, this is a very good question. I think I would need more information, like how often should it come out? Would it only be Star Wars and Star Trek related? Could there be other topics that Scott from Connecticut is interested in? Yeah, th there's another thing you could do to try to get your podcast out. Wait for another Star Wars movie to open. Well, I mean, that pretty much is every six months at this point, correct? Mm. I don't know if that's a good idea. Didn't one of them just open? Like, apparently he hasn't updated since then. Mm. Oh, that's right. That's right. Well, maybe he'll work on it. Uh, on that note, Scott from Connecticut, I hope we helped. Thank you very much, Steve, for being with us for another spectacular episode. Oh, always. Uh, thank you, Scott, for being with us. Say goodnight, I Scott. I have always been here. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, and thank you, listeners, for being with us as well. And please, if you have any other questions for us, send them to spectacularadvice at gmail.com and someone will read them. It might be me. <laughs> Thank you very much and good night. But I like sandwiches. How about you? Sandwiches are beautiful. Sandwiches are fine. I like sandwiches. I eat them all the time. I eat them for my supper. I eat them for my lunch. And if I had a hundred sandwiches, I'd eat them all the rest. Oh, sandwiches are beautiful, sandwiches are fine I like sandwiches, I eat them all the time I eat them for my supper, I eat them for my lunch And if I had a hundred sandwiches, I'd eat them all at once Well, we bought a book, it's, there's one for ten and older And then my wife said, oh, there's one for seven and older That's, uh, you know, written a little bit differently Oh my god, I just got scared